0: Hello and welcome back to the Feeling Seen podcast, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. I am, of course, your host Jordan Cruciola, and I am here today with, um, as I as I welcomed him and as I introduce him to you, I am here with a legend. I am here with, uh, I'm here with the star of the screen, both big and small. I am here with somebody who, in previous lives, has been uh, a theater director, a choreographer, a dancer, um, an educator. And someone who you might recognize from prestigious television, such as *True Detective*, uh, independent films such as *Blood Quantum*. Maybe you're a big fan of that super universe on AMC and *The Walking Dead* and *The Fear of the Walking Dead*, and the show *Rutherford Falls* on Peacock, in which you play Terry Thomas, the very cunning and poised casino CEO. Michael Greyeyes, I could go, I could go on for a long time to properly establish your credentials here. But how is that for an introduction, Michael? Do I, did I set you up adequately, I'm, or is there more
1: we should put out there? I'm, I'm flabbergasted. I'm gobsmacked. I don't know what to say, Jordan. <laughs> thank you very much for such a wonderful introduction.
0: Hey, I all I it. said are things that you have done, so <laughs> I- I'd be more impressed with myself if I were you.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I if you know me, you know I'm a workaholic, mm-hmm. so you work 30 years in the business (laughs) and things start to add up.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. No, you're, I mean, you're, you've been, you've been working since the, it's the early 1990s. I mean, the world's changed so much in the past five years in general, but like the world has also changed in in its own, in its own ways in the microcosm of of the industry. How has the past sort of 10 years compared to those earlier 20 in terms of like the pace of industry Mm -hmm. evolution?
1: Well, you're right. Everything has changed. I think it's not, I don't think it's because of, of, The media like the format Mm -hmm. yeah when I started uh we were we were you know still using film in cameras Mm -hmm. um and you know that was a that was a kind of a rhythm there was a certain process to the day um it was also special right because it's like we're rolling yeah We're, we're rolling there's something kind of like organic happening when we started shooting onto cards uh things changed a little bit yeah but it was still the basic same... It was the same work for me.
2: Mm-hmm. It
1: was the same work as an actor. You know, you have to, you know, understand your script. You have to understand your story. You have to understand your character. You have to understand the scene work and working with the rest of the cast and the director. So that hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what's changed in terms of the body of work that I'm, I'm, I'm pursuing mm-hmm. is uh, uh, the streaming models created more opportunities uh, there's, there's more shows. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's just more shows. Yeah. I I remember when I first began, you know, like pilot season was really important because it was, you know, this is like, I hope I get a pilot. I hope I, you know, get some guest stars. Yeah. So end of January through April, you were like, you were in LA, you were Mm -hmm. trying to make this thing work, but it was almost like it was cyclic. Like work was cyclic. Yeah. Now work happens all the time. (laughs) Great and, for a
0: workaholic like yourself, as you established before. Excellent.
1: Yeah. And so, so for me, that's what's different. Mm-hmm. Um, there's more work. Uh, and also, you know, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that I have opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, I think it was with Woman Walks Ahead. It was after that moment, you know, because I, I, I was able to work with, you know, a director like Susanna White mm-hmm. and Jessica Chastain and Sam Rockwell that the conversation around me changed. Mm. And uh, in our industry, power and visibility
2: yeah.
1: uh, leads to other opportunities. So it's, it's sort of like a neighborhood. Yeah. Like I was in a certain kind of neighborhood, and then they said, Oh, come to this neighborhood. And then I was in that neighborhood, and that was a different kind of work, mm-hmm. uh, that was a different kind of access. So I've been really fortunate that. You know, I've made some really smart choices, and and the right projects came along at the right time. Um, so, it's really in the la- probably in the last six years that I've accessed some of the best roles in my life.
0: Well, and then so getting to the to the meat of the conversation get on the kind of like the topic of like growth points and origin stories, really like the the character that you have brought for us to discuss today, it is a re- the first uh repeat movie on the podcast for us we are going back to one flew over the cuckoo's nest but this time we are discussing chief bromden played by will sampson why is why have you brought this character to our doorstep today what is the resonance of chief bromden for you and, and of course when did you first see the film
1: you know i i can't exactly remember when i saw it but mm. i was like like a tweener okay so sure. you were young a, you were a kid i was young okay. i was young i was a kid As a kid, and I don't think I understood it all, but I just remember that film was like, you know, it was one of the first truly independent films that I'd Mm. seen, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it was made outside of the studio model at that time. And uh, I just felt it was like a revolutionary kind of story Mm -hmm. for me, you know, at at my age, growing up in in Saskatchewan. Mm -hmm. And I was used to seeing um, Native people like in Westerns, mm-hmm. but certainly not in contemporary stories. So it, it's sort of like uh, myself mm-hmm. and my family and my community were absent from mainstream media, mm-hmm. but we did exist in these other kinds of stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I felt that one flew of the cuckoo's den centered a contemporary existence. Mm-hmm. So for me, that was a revolution. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, that's a Native man. Yeah. That's not a guy that is, you know, he's a pretendian. Yeah. He's, he's a real Native person. And he's integral to this story, and the story's happening now.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, you know, that, you know, that should be alarming, I think, to a lot of people when yeah. you think, it's like it's the 1970s. And that's when we see, that's when a major portrayal, mm-hmm. um, that's when it's first introduced. And of course, people like Chief Dan George were doing incredible work and there was other work happening, you know, before that mm-hmm. and after that. But for me, that was the that was the oh wow moment. Mm-hmm.
0: That is such a that's such an amazing point to make of like, because obviously this is a podcast about where we see ourselves places and and representation is the conversation or representation is at once like, obviously, I think it's important. I'm doing this whole thing. But at the same time, like the capital R representation conversation can turn into one of those things where like, it's like the word badass for women has just turned into like a white feminism thing where you just saying it doesn't mean anything. It's supposed to encapsulate everything. It's like representation. And so I think that that is such an, a special point you make about like, The category of representation that you lack specifically as a native person, there was a way that it's like, if I'm there, I'm an element of history. I am an adornment in something that is a time that came before. I am not a part of the present. And if you if you do not see yourself rendered as a part of the present, it makes it so much harder to even to imagine yourself as a part of the future. Like, to imagine something better is to imagine yourself in a place and time and see how you can grow and change and evolve and circumstances can improve. But if you're not even permitted the opportunity to see yourself in the present, that fucking robs people of, like, the capacity to imagine themselves in, like, a yeah. future iteration of society to even be better. And that's such a goddamn horrible thing. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah. It's an anomaly, too. Bromden was an anomaly. Uh-huh. Because he was the only Native character in the story. So, even though it was positive for me as an as a Indigenous person looking at it, um, it also set up certain kinds of tropes that... I've been dismantling ever since, like, that there's, if if there's a Native character, they're the only Native character. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, The play and the book, which, you know, I performed Bromden in a play for my thesis Mm. when I was in university, uh, getting my master's, um, and I read the book as part of that preparation. Um, Bromden is the narrator. Yes. Of uh, the Keezy story and, and the Dale Wasserman play as well. Mm-hmm. He is the narrator. So he is actually more important um, in terms of how the story is told than, uh, than Nurse Ratchet or, you know, RP mm-hmm. Murphy. He's mm-hmm. the storyteller. Of course, that mm-hmm. was excised from the film. So again, right. there's an erasure. Mm -hmm. and and setting up this anomaly. Because, you know, in the book, it talks about his family and about his dad, and that's completely Mm. cut out of that film. So in the same way, you know, that film's landmark, it also introduced kinds of um, uh, cheats, you know, that Hollywood has taken advantage of ever since. You know, yes, we have a native character, but they're the only one. So we don't see them inside community. So that means that's like, he's like the last of the Mohicans, right he's like the last one we don't see the community we don't see the fabric of our of our existence as we know it Mm
2: -hmm.
0: well having then been exposed to 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 chief bromden in the film form when you when you said you're about like a tween and then to perform that role more built out in its stage iteration in college what were you sort of what were you determined to bring to that that there was an absence of when you saw it on film and you were like, this is my chance to be the fully fleshed out Chief Bromden? What was sort of like the way you wanted to more embody him than he was able to even exist as on, on camera?
1: Um, well, obviously there were, there were like these incredible monologues, you yeah. know, that were part of the, the, the Wasserman play. And, mm-hmm. you know, those were, those were exciting because uh, Bromden's insane. Like that—that's what makes that that um, story mechanism so powerful—is that Bromden's mm-hmm. actually very unhealthy, and mm-hmm. he's a he's a um, unreliable narrator, right? Right. So he's insane, and during the process of telling the story, um, he starts to become healthier again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's I think that, that's a crucial that was a crucial part of how I approached the performance. Mm -hmm. Um, I obviously wrote a thesis about it. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So there's a lot there. Uh, But one interesting thing for me was um, the scene, the party scene, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, in the, in the play, Mm -hmm. Um, the night that they celebrate escaping. Yeah. Right. Like uh, the, you know, the two, you know, sex workers come and Candy and her friend, and they end up getting, Wiped out they, they end up getting drunk And they pass out And then mm. the nurse comes And they're all Like they don't escape Right, right yeah And the um, door The
0: window The window's open Like the, the path to freedom Is right in front of them
1: And they all just They pissed it away Yeah So One thing That was part of that Is that That um, uh, Bromden's drinking It's mm-hmm. like You know There's whiskey And they're drinking And And I I didn't want um, I've been very, I've been very careful in, in mm-hmm. the first part of my career. I was like, I, you know, I don't want to uh, perpetuate that kind of a stereotype. Right. So I was very, very careful about letting, uh, white audiences see me, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a contemporary native person yeah. drunk. And so I was like conflicted during that rehearsal process. And I was like, Oh, what do I do? What do, I do? Mm-hmm. And I was like, kind of like half in the scene, half in, out of the scene because mm-hmm. And then it all changed completely when I was like, actually, Ronald is the life of the party. Mm-hmm. He's the energy behind it. Mm-hmm. So once I stopped um, fixing yeah. an audience's perceptions mm-hmm. of a Native man,
2: mm-hmm.
1: then I was free to become an actor that functioned properly inside the piece. Mm-hmm. So that was a big moment for me, yeah. and um, you know, like that—that that moment connects entirely to Wild Indian, mm-hmm. right? I was—I uh, ju- was
0: just thinking of that as like a a perfect rejoinder to that conversation.
1: Yeah, because uh, that allowed me to go, I don't give a fuck what people think. Yeah, of, of Makwa. Uh huh. He's an awful person. <laughs> he is so damaged, and he wreaks his his havoc on people from a place of damage, mm-hmm. and he's. He's completely powerful, in in despite this, you know this, this massive wake of destruction mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. he that he creates.
0: Uh, just to note that Wild Indian is uh, it was a twenty twenty one film that you starred in that you are the lead of uh, about uh, a boy Makwa. Uh We meet him at the outset in a in a very abusive home in a very difficult environment, and he makes. A uh, terrifying decision as uh, a hurt and scared boy that we as we jump into the adult timeline of his life in which in which you are Makwa, uh you are you are accomplished you are professionally successful you have a beautiful wife you have you know children and you are hiding this terrible secret of what you did when you were younger and you are sort of this like contained explosion of pure fury that seems to sort of have to wear the drag of composure to carry on oneself in, in the wider world, but have done so to the point of, of great success.
1: Look what I've made of myself, man. Do I look like the same fucking person? Right, yeah. The, his mask was really a, a profoundly structured thing Mm -hmm. and when I worked with Lyle who was you know Lyle Mitchell Corbine Jr. who wrote and directed it um, the cracks that started to appear in his mask towards the end of the end of the film Mm -hmm. that was so beautiful and and the ending of course like was so open-ended you were like what is happening
0: (laughs) what is happening to this
1: man you know he was so destabilized as a a human being and um, it's easy to see a guy like that as a villain
2: Mm
1: -hmm. um but, you know, Jana, of course, uh, my my great friend, Jana Schmieding, who plays Regan on Rutherford Falls.
0: She is so she, funny on Rutherford Falls. She's, she's so, good. so that's That's the Peacock show you star in about a small town in upstate New York that we enter into it. Uh, meeting Ed Helms, who's sort of the town mascot and the the namesake of the Rutherford family. And he is running head-to-head with his desire to preserve his family's legacy and what his family's legacy represents when his great ancestors brokered peace with the native people and created the harmonious existence of Rutherford Falls.
1: Exactly, exactly. And so so Jana, who plays Regan on that show, mm-hmm. she loved Wild Indian. She was like, that blew my mind. Mm-hmm. She said, it's a film about the way our men hold their pain. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh. "Okay, so that is that is what the movie's about."
0: That's a that must be a very beautiful. I mean, that's a very beautiful thing to say. So I feel like that's a very beautiful thing to hear as the person who is carrying that that sort of role and what becomes like inevitably that responsibility on your shoulders that was something i was able to talk to jeff barnaby about when when blood quantum came out was how inevitably he's like my existence somewhere is political as as a native person and i yeah. want to make a movie filled with cool shit and a guy gets his dick bit off and you are in blood quantum um <laughs> playing the outstanding outstanding character of trailer amidst a zombie apocalypse um but at the same time, he understands that intrinsically, everything is going to be a metaphor for the socio political norms of him talking about the issues of the post colonial native man and dealing with the baggage of generations of trauma and what the world is like when you experience it as erasing you constantly. And he's just trying to make a fun movie at the same time. And here, you know, you are making, I I heard, I read you referring to Wild Indian as your raging bull. And it's like, this is a incredible character opportunity. This is an acting opportunity. This is a story you believed in and a piece of, a piece of artwork that you were like, I need to be at the forefront of this. But inevitably it also becomes an act of responsibility because you are carrying the, the, the legacy of, the native individual as a screen persona and having to like decide how you're going to subvert that and play with that. And that's a lot when you're just trying to do your goddamn job.
1: Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. Like, um, but at the same time, I I'm, I'm also a person in the community, but I'm also an artist. Yeah, I'm an actor. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things I, I, I thought really that really guided me as I, as I made that film is like, okay, so these kinds of parts don't come along that often. Yeah. And um, this is, this is a, this is, you know, for lack of a better word, it's a star making role. Sure. Because of its scope mm-hmm. and what it asks an actor to do. And I said, I have to like, I have to crush this. I got to <laughs> yeah. kill it. I got to kill it. Because um, if we don't crush those opportunities, mm-hmm. um, then people will be like, uh, "Well, you know, it was like sort it was not successful, it was right. not great." And we're already working against notions um, that you know we don't have enough experience, mm-hmm. we're not stars ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just elements inside the industry mm-hmm. that have sort of put those ideas forward. Um, we can't build a vehicle around a native guy. Mm-hmm. He's got to be like the friend yeah. of the big star. Yeah, you know, so. Um uh, in one of my favorite moments uh you know uh in response to that film was when Mark Ruffalo called me he somehow <laughs> found my number um I'd I'd worked with him you know on another show and he he called me and he just said um that was such beautiful work I had to call you and tell you uh that's so nice because he said you put that um film on your shoulders mm-hmm and I was like, oh, wow, that was such a great compliment because that's what I was doing. Mm-hmm. That's what uh, other leading men do. Yeah. Know, that's what Ryan Gosling does. He yeah. puts a show on his shoulders.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, that's what Mark did with um, I Know This Much Is True. Yeah, And that was my job. So as an actor, as mm-hmm. an artist, I was like, I have to carry a show. Um, I shared that load with Chaske, of mm-hmm. course, who is a genius. And he was so good in that film. He was outstanding. Um, so... You know, I'm really proud of that work. I'm really proud of what we were able to accomplish as performers, as actors, and also what it said to the world about the kinds of stories we, we can tell. How did you find me? Well, it's not hard. Stars drive for the fakest fucking ending they ever seen. What are you doing here? What are you doing here?
2: All the places. I've never been to a place like this.
0: And I I, there was there was an interview I was reading recently where you were uh talking about um you were talking about both Terry in Rutherford Falls and you were talking about um you were talking about Wild Indian and you were talking the the phrase that you used was a heroic withholding of rage within each of those characters at certain points. And I think too like as we see the screen representation of Chief Bromden, I think what makes what we're supposed to align with what is so sympathetic about that character is throughout the movie there is almost this like heroic withholding of externalizing of how repressed he is and how imprisoned he is. And even like moments where we see McMurphy, like literally riding him like a, like a a figure of entertainment. And there's this constant sort of withholding of a reaction. And that is what makes him somehow more noble. Or that is what makes him like somehow our hope and, and, and the person we want to see walk out of the, the institution solo at the end. And I wanted to talk to you about like that notion of heroic, Withholding of rage and how it can work. Sort of, I feel like in a character like Terry, the heroic withholding of rage is something where we have to see where this character has to live within like the obligations of being a non white person in a room to heroically withhold this rage to operate within the confines of like appropriate behavior. And then we see in Makwa a withholding of rage for the purposes of like existing in society, but in a way that kind of like subverts the idea of the noble withholding, because is it so noble to just not murder people or is that just you <laughs> doing the least? And then, right. and obviously right. the sort of silence that defines Chief Bromden as a screen character. And I wanted to hear about the the various strains of heroic withholding of rage that oh. you have seen and sort of just played with on screen as an actor yourself.
1: Thank you, thank you for the question. It's, it's great. Um, when you look at Bromden,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, you look at voicelessness, like he was silent for half the movie, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And then he's like, oh, thank you. yeah right, juicy fruit. <laughs> and, and you know, like, the first lines. juicy fruit. Boy, you sly son of a bitch, Chief. You hear me, too? Yeah, hey, you did. Oh, God. Damn, chief! And they all, they all think you're you're deaf and dumb. Jesus
2: Christ! <laughs> you fool them, chief! You fool them! You fool them all! God damn!
1: <laughs> so, so in a way, he was. Hiding in plain sight. And that, mm-hmm. of course, is built into the character, and that's in the book, and that's in the play. Mm-hmm. He's hiding in plain sight because he doesn't believe in himself. He mm-hmm. believes he's too small. Um, he's not as big as his father, yet he was a giant.
0: Yeah, Will Sampson's um, six foot seven.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and so th- that was an element, like withholding voice. Um, when you look at uh, Terry and you look at Makwa,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, they're actually both empowered. Mm -hmm. They're both powerful.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Right? Um, So I'll contrast Bromden versus the two men. Um, One is without power. His only power is to hide Mm -hmm. so that he's not discovered. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas the other two are immensely powerful uh, in in different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, If you if you ask what the characters are trying to do, they're both trying to win. Makwa's mm-hmm. trying to win and, and Terry's trying to win. He's trying to win in, in a small negotiation and a big negotiation on the macro level. Yeah. Re, you know, recreate the town and recreate this incredible, make this casino much bigger than he is. Mm-hmm. They're both ambitious. Makwa um, uh, wants to win the game of life. Mm-hmm. they like, like, sort of like the monopoly. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I want all of it. I want, I want the home, I want the car, I want the beautiful wife.
0: There's that great I moment where he's claim. like, he's on the line for a promotion and he looks at, Jesse Eisenberg's in that movie, and he looks at him and he just, with so much conviction, you're just looking at him, you just go, I earned this. Like you yeah. see the deep belief and angry yeah. knowledge that he earned every step of this. Yeah,
1: and he deserves it. Yeah. Like he, he, he utterly believes that he deserves it. Um, and like maybe he does, mm-hmm. you know? um. So both those guys are are fighting for wins, mm-hmm. and to me, what was withheld from the character and from the audience mm. is the idea that native people are actually very powerful. Mm. You know, rage is a component of 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 these men. Mm-hmm. Uh, Terry's angry, you know in his origin story, you know he was pushed around, he was cheated. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to like win at that game. Makwa was born into the wrong skin,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and he's like, I, "I don't like the odd. I don't like the hand I was dealt. I'm going to change the game
2: yeah. in my
1: favor." Um, if you look at uh, the dispossessed native person on screen, mm-hmm. if you look at you know um, a person that comes from a dysfunctional family, uh, if you look at, at at a drunk on the mm-hmm. street or an addict on the street. What's hidden inside those stereotypes is powerlessness. Mm-hmm. So both Makwa and Terry uh, articulate on screen what it means to be powerful.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's why they're more similar than dissimilar. Makwa hides his mm-hmm. um, emotional, like he, in a way he's 13 years old yeah, emotionally as an adult
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Terry is actually emotionally whole Mm -hmm. because he comes from um, a beautiful and empowering community Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. growing up I didn't get to learn a lot of my traditional ways but I did get to learn the great American pastime which is power power Josh is a zero sum game if you have more of it I have less, and then you can treat me however you want. If we want to ensure this tribe has a successful life, one that can maintain our traditions, art, and culture, well, it takes power. And unfortunately, power comes from money. The casino is a means to an end. It's the industry of this time. 400 years ago, it was fur trading. 50 years ago, it was manufacturing. And long after I'm dead, there will be Minishanka figuring out how to master the next endeavor. Because that's what we do, Josh. Those of us who fight this battle, we do whatever we have to. In that scene in in episode four, um, it's him holding his tongue in order to achieve the win that he needs and that his community needs. Right. Uh, so that's 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 the specific of of like him withholding his anger.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so they they compare to each other, they contrast to each other. Yeah. But what I love about the three of them together is that although they're played by the same dude,
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're radically radically different.
0: Yeah.
1: In all in the, all the nuances uh, that I as an actor kind mm-hmm. of celebrate. So, yeah, the, I, think that's a, I think that's a great quote, but it scratches at the surface of other kinds of constructions yeah. that I'm, like, I'm so happy to talk about, right? <laughs> uh, uh, but, I'm
0: exactly why I wanted to have you here.
1: Yeah, so, so yeah, um, they withhold for different reasons. Um, but I think the m- most important thing is the discussion of, of the media and Native men or Native people is that we've been withholding Mm -hmm. portraits of power Mm -hmm. from larger audiences. And Bromden, in a way, is powerless Mm -hmm. compared to more contemporary representations.
0: We have to take a short break, but we will be right back with more Michael Gray eyes. And then later, I'll have one quick thing to say before I go about the new fantastic movie, Prey. So stick around, everybody. Hey,
2: it's John Moe, host of Depression Mode, a podcast about people's mental health journeys. Guess who we got? Guess who? It's Jamie Lee Curtis.
0: I look at life now as the game of guess who, which is simply the process of elimination. I know what I don't like. That's how I found out who I am.
2: Jamie Lee Curtis on addiction, show business, and fooling people. All on Depression Mode for Maximum Fun, wherever you get your podcasts. Well, Manolo, we have a show to promote. It's called Dr. Game Show.
1: It's a family-friendly podcast where listeners submit games and we play them with callers from around the world.
2: Oh, sounds good. New episodes uh, happen every other Wednesday on MaximumFun.org.
1: It's a, it's a fast and loose oasis of absurd innocence and naivete. And Are you writing
0: a poem?
2: No, I'm just... Saying things from my memory,
1: and uh, it's a nice break from reality. (laughs) Is that are we allowed to say that?
2: I don't know, it sounds bad.
1: It comes with a 100% happiness guarantee, it does not
2: (laughs) come for the games and stay for the chaos.
0: Welcome back to Feeling Seen, where I've been talking with actor Michael Greyeyes about seeing Chief Bromden in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest as a kid and then going on to play that role on stage and the choices and changes he's getting to make as an actor today. Let's get back into it. In in the past couple years, we I've mentioned Blood Quantum and obviously there's Rutherford Falls and then there's Wild Indian. And these are works that you have been able to make with it seems like groups of people where it has been a collaborative experience between fellow Native creatives and not right. you perhaps acting as actor and consultant and <laughs> seal of <Yeah>. approval and <laughs> etc. cetera. And I wanted to talk about sort of growing into that part of your career and the sort of demonstrated possibility of the present where you don't have to be the only one on the set and what that opens up for you just as an actor, just as an actor, when part of your, like, emotional daily work is not being like, and I'm the only guy like me here. Like, how does that open you up creatively to just be in place and
1: be these roles? Uh, more, more than one would think, actually, um, <laughs>
0: I mean, do you physically feel it in your body when you're, like, standing on a set for Wild Indy, when you're in Rutherford Falls, knowing that I think it's, like, half the writer's room is Native writers from, like, various tribal backgrounds? I
1: I didn't feel it in those terms. mm. I didn't feel it, like, you know, physically or viscerally. Yeah. Um, What it allowed me to do was uh, what other good actors enjoy all the time. Right. Right is like I was not I, I just I was less burdened, I didn't yeah. have to carry as much, so when I play Terry, I love playing Terry first of all, because he's hilarious mm-hmm. um, and he's most often the smartest guy in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I love about playing Terry is that with Sierra having my back, mm-hmm. our showrunner Sierra Tell- teller ornelis um, with the writers having already created stunning stunning strips mm-hmm. um my job's really simple yeah i just have to be a really good actor <laughs> and do my very best yeah same with wild indian i didn't have to um worry about how lyle would take um a really kind of ugly representation of, a, of an indigenous man yeah I I could trust him. I knew that he would balance it with what Chaskay was doing so that there's there's two competing ideas in front of a non-Indigenous audience about Mm -hmm. what Native men are Mm -hmm. and can be. So again, I could just be more maqua. Yeah. I could just be more intense or more driven or more violent Mm -hmm. or whatever it needed to be in the in those instances, more menacing. So it just made my job easier. I just feel like I I feel like I can run instead of like carrying like 10 things. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And my best the best reviews of my career are from Butterfruit Falls and Wild Indian. And it's like, hmm. Hmm. You mean when I can just be an
0: actor, I I can can do my best
1: acting? Exactly. So Benedict Cumberbatch. He's pretty fucking great
0: he's pretty fucking great
1: he doesn't necessarily have to lift the same kind of baggage that sheila towsy had to lift nope. or Will samson had to lift or i had to lift or Tantu or any any other indigenous actor mm-hmm. because we weren't we weren't trying to fix british representation <laughs> yeah. or you know white men you know like yeah you know, like that was not our deal mm-hmm. we had we had our own deal Mm -hmm. And it was often um, uh, like I don't think Benedict has to explain the white male experience to the people that he's working with.
0: Right. He doesn't he I mean, he he doesn't have to worry about his character being defined against uh, something that makes people more comfortable. And so we have to set that as a reference point at every turn. Yeah. Like, but what about this main thing that everyone's going to know and understand? So, how about you just relate to the thing we know best? And like with Wild Indian, Rutherford Falls, it seems like there is not the concern of like, here's how we define against a quote unquote white normal. And then here's how we make everybody feel comfortable with the contrast to the normal. It nice. is simply characters that get to yeah. be their
1: whole selves. And and they get to be three-dimensional and they get to be paradoxical. Mm-hmm. Like, Terry is low-key terrifying. Yeah, I go, no, that's he's... What I, I Terry's frightening.
0: Terry is frightening. When you get that look in your eyes and it looks like you could stab a person right through the throat in any second, I'm like, this is a comedy, <laughs> so it's probably not gonna happen. But I'm feeling yeah. that sense of possibility right now. Yeah.
1: So he's, he's that. And then he's also a dad who just doesn't understand. Like, <laughs> that, see, uh, that scene in season one...
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, uh, with uh, Gowan Deal,
2: uh-huh.
1: uh, the actor uh, actor who plays Maya, mm-hmm. his daughter. The scene when the you know there's a 13 year old speaking to her dad inside a truck, and they're trying to like he's trying to convince her to sell his sell her beadwork, and she's like, Ah, uh, no, why don't I just give them away for free? Yeah. Fine. Then no more allowance. Fine. And no more going to the elders lodge to bead with grandma.
2: Are you serious?
1: No, of course not. That would be mean she's a very old woman
2: why are you so obsessed with money is everything like a deal to you
1: oh good the truck started because i put gas in it which costs money because literally everything costs money
0: then why am i even in school i should just quit and get a job at a sweatshop
1: maya please you could never keep up with those kids to me that's the most political scene of the mm. whole season because we don't see Native men having this kind of conversation with their teenage daughters right, in our media. And that's a problem. Mm-hmm. That That is so normal, right? It's like, come on, don't you want to sell it? Like, we can do this thing. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, uh, what's, is everything about money with you? Like, what is your problem?
0: <laughs> He's like, I'm the CEO of a casino. Yes, it is.
1: right so it's because it's because we have Sierra behind the show mm-hmm. that, that i didn't have to fight for that scene to be yeah. written i didn't have to fight for it to have like, you know we took most of the afternoon to film it mm-hmm. and I knew it would be in the final cut, like mm-hmm. i didn't have to fight and go that's a really important scene should, <laughs> you know I know there's other scenes, and yeah, I just knew I just knew that the story was in good hands.
0: Well, and I and I've read you. You speak too about like to the to this whole conversation, like the shorthand you're able to have with a director, like Sydney Freeland, where you don't have to like. There's there's not an experience gap between like how you see the world or how the world sees you that you have to explain why certain framing could make sense of ways it can just be intuitive like that she was uh you, you were talking about where she was uh talking about a scene with you and saying we 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 and you knew she knew what we meant you were both talking about the same we in that situation and then but you mentioned too that having sierra in the executive position that she is like that is so rare to like Yes, visible representation need need every we need more intersectionality on screen. Period. Full stop. Yes, but what the conversation like outside of like the consumer press kind of doesn't talk about as much is like yeah, but somebody needs to make the call in the edit bay. Somebody needs to be fighting with like studio suits and executive producers, and that those are the people that ensure those shorthands that you have with a director like Sydney Freeland make it to final cut and end up on a streaming show on Peacock.
1: Yes. And, yes, and.
0: Yes, and.
1: When I work with Sydney and Sierra, Mm -hmm. we don't often talk about cultural truths. Mm -hmm. They're assumed. Yeah. (laughs) We end up just talking about doing better acting. (laughs) She does better directing. Sierra goes, with this line, do this. How about this for the scene? And we end up just having conversations about craft Mm -hmm, mm
2: -hmm. and
1: about excellence and making things better instead of necessary like sometimes it's purely technical talk yeah and we we can have the technical talk freely Mm -hmm. because everything else is we we come from the same places Mm -hmm. so we don't have to also explain cultural nuance to each other yeah we just we know what each other know, it. know
0: it. We, we don't have to have a conversation it. about this thing to establish it as factual because yeah. we just know that it is yeah god what a time yeah. saver right
1: yes it's so much simpler and works hard enough like the work's hard enough
0: so like you said you some of the best reviews of your career have been in these very recent works you have done the work you've been doing like you've been honing your craft over all this time but like you're good at what you do, and you always have been good at what you do. But with you know, doing ha- having something that feels like you are raging bull in a wild Indian, and then working in this like incredible uh, zombie movie where in, like, in Blood Quantum, where the the reservation of Indigenous people are immune to the virus, and it's the white hordes descending upon them to once again take what belongs to the Indigenous people, and then in Rutherford Falls, uh, you have. A comedic turn. We have Michael Grey Eyes and a sardonically comedic turn. And it feels like, particularly with Wild Indian and Rutherford Falls, these feel like kind of new thresholds that you've been able to push into of late after 30 years already in this industry. So what is that? Like, obviously you're an actor. You show up, it's your job to do any, any character. What do recent works like this and collaborative relationships with figures like Sydney and Sierra what do they indicate to you for like your imagination for what you sort of dare to want or that you know you will fervently pursue now that you've sort of, you know, I feel like it's exciting to push past thresholds when you've been doing something for 30 years because you're like, oh shit, this is, there's new stuff for me. I can keep finding new stuff. Like what's the new stuff you're excited to keep finding for yourself?
1: I think what we've been making mm-hmm. is excellent.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, that's so gratifying because there's lots of, ways in which excellence uh, doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And it's not because of lack of trying, right? Or or it's not because people, all the people involved aren't fantastic at what they do and great at their jobs. Um, But what we've managed to do with these shows is we've made really empirically, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know, I know it's, I know it's a subjective business, but it's empirically really good work.
0: Really good work. Yeah.
1: And um, you might not like it, Mm -hmm. but you can't say it's not well done. Right. Uh, so to me, what that confirms for me mm-hmm. is that our way of working has always been right. Mm-hmm. And it produces the kind, of, the kind of work that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to reinvent the wheel. Okay. I just have to find um, the right uh, ways of working
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the people who want to work that way. Mm-hmm. So hot off the hot off the uh you know tales of of this work that we're talking about,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, I've stepped back into my role as a director. Okay. And although I don't direct theater anymore, which was, mm-hmm. you know, how I became a director, um, I just finished uh directing five of ten episodes of a new show in Canada called Acting Good.
2: Oh, Acting congratulations. Good
1: Thank you very much. Thank you. So I'm the establishing director for a new show. Mm-hmm. Acting Good is made by the same network as Shit's Creek.
0: Oh, so okay, great.
1: People know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it's about a fly-in uh, res, like a fly-in community. Uh, mm-hmm. There's lots of communities in the far north where the only way you can get to them is by plane okay. or boat. And so it's about a really isolated community, like, you know, 900 people. And everybody knows everybody. So- mm-hmm. I directed this half-hour comedy because of my work on the Falls, watching how the directors work, watching how we were. Uh, they were really excited to have me come on board as a director mm-hmm. and just go, how do you how did you guys do what you did? Yeah. Because we want to do something different, yeah, but excellent also. Yeah. And so You know, I spent, you know, three months in Manitoba with this project. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I just developed, I just, uh, you know, submitted my director's cuts. Mm -hmm. It'll be on TV very soon, you know, maybe in the fall. So the next thing is also just expanding the core idea of excellence Mm -hmm. and the idea of creative control. Uh, Jana calls it, you know, uh, a narrative sovereignty, (laughs) indigenous narrative sovereignty. And so... Beyond becoming a director of of film and you know TV, which is obviously something I, I'm, I'm very eager to pursue, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. to you know create franchises, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know to again uh, smash down doors where doors had previously been closed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sierra and I joked; uh, she's like she works so hard running, <laughs> you know, making Rutherford Falls. She was like, I'm beat. I was like, it's okay. We don't sleep. The the next ones Mm -hmm. can rest a little bit. Mm -hmm. She was like, good point.
0: Good point.
1: You know, because we don't want our kids to have to work as hard as we do. Right. And uh, we don't want the next layer, the next iterations of creative artists to necessarily run into the same arguments Mm -hmm. or, you know, obfuscations or whatever it is that we, you know, we deal with. Mm -hmm. So... Changing the decision making layer
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of Hollywood yeah.
1: is the next step. Yes. <laughs> so that Sierra isn't waiting, and all of us aren't waiting for someone to go, Yeah, you got another season.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: How great would it be for us to be somewhere in that layer? Mm-hmm. And we go, Of course, they're getting a, another season. Yeah. And then, you know, the other network exec goes, Really? <laughs> and then, we say
0: 100%. Yeah, yeah. 100%. And then
1: there's no more argument. <laughs>
0: it's it's the best idea and it's the right thing to do, as yeah. Rutherford Falls yeah. has yeah. has reinforced to me recently. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have to... I have to relinquish you back out to the world. But Michael Reyes, I have so appreciated this conversation with you. It has been incredible to meet you and just hear, have your mind pour out into this podcast for an hour. Thank you so much for taking the time.
1: Wow. Thank you so much. It was an amazing conversation. Uh, Made me think about uh, my work in different ways. So (laughs) I'm happy for that.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you so much to Michael Grey Eyes for that conversation. Season two of Rutherford Falls is out now on Peacock. It is a sincerely enjoyable time, you guys. I, I would recommend go go find Peacock. Log into Peacock. Check it out. There's a lot, there's actually a lot of good stuff there. And actors are doing really great work. So check out season two of Rutherford Falls and you can find The other films we talked about today, Wild Indian, Blood Quantum, Woman Walks Ahead, and of course, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest on most streaming services. Uh, And now I have the one quick thing before I go, and that is, shout out to Prey. Like, let's celebrate Prey, the best Predator movie since original Predator um, yes, I know Predators, like Predator 2 is fun, you guys. I'm not hating on fucking Predator 2. Like, I'm not erasing its existence. Um, I enjoy Alien versus Predator. Like, that's a good time. Take me into the H.R. Giger aesthetic of Alien and throw in some Predators. I've been having a good time with the Predator franchise for a very long time. But Prey feels like a return to that original cell of a feeling that, like, a Predator movie really wants to do. Juice you up to have like that muscular action that you know, just like two people with a with a bro handshake, muscles flexing. That is what we get back in Dan Trachtenberg's *Prey*, and we get it because pri- primarily because of little twenty-five-year-old Amber Mid Thunder. Putting this movie on her goddamn back as Naru and carrying it. Dakota Beavers is also amazing as her brother. This movie's just rad. If you like predators killing shit, if you like people fighting predators, if you like neon green blood, if you like people jumping out of trees, swinging axes at things in the heat of mortal combat, Prey delivers. It's lean, it's mean, um, I think it's very cool that there is like the movie is performed in English, but on Hulu, where it 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 lives, there is also a Comanche dub. Uh, I, as I understand it, the actors themselves came back to do the the Comanche dub of it as well. So you're hearing the actors' actual voices, despite the fact that it is a dub in another language. Um, I think that's really rad, and I just like I'm happy to see with how with how sort of bummed i was by the predator the movie that came before this the like shane black with uh sterling k brown and you know it just it was like being at the worst party where you ended up it's just like you're the only girl and it's a bunch of bros and they're like they're like crushing beer cans against their heads and like making jerk off motions constantly and, and and like suddenly you find yourself in the middle of their circle jerk like that's what the predator felt like and there is such a wonderful return in this movie to like there's nothing ironic about prey there's nothing winking about prey there's nothing like overly self like postmodern self aware about prey it's just good shit it's just good shit it's just hand to hand combat it's 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 a predator raising a bear above its head on its claw hands while it is invisible and you can only see the discernible shape of the predator because the bear's blood starts to spill completely over the predator giving it a defined form in front of you as like Amber Midthunder is backing away in terror before she of course will rise to fight the alien herself it's a great time and and I have to say too um, a little shouts out to the movie Mohawk If you liked Prey, I highly recommend the 2017 movie Mohawk, a nice little independent survival thriller in the woods. It is directed by Ted Gagan. He's also the co-writer of it. And it is about a young Mohawk woman and her two lovers. It's a love triangle uh, battling a battalion of American soldiers who are hellbent on being fucking american soldiers uh this is like late stages of the war of 1812 so this is it's a really taut um high on ambiance and like mood in the forest and violent and brutal and mean so if you if you liked what prey was serving i highly recommend going and checking out again as we always say support independent cinema check out mohawk um and go go out there and celebrate prey it is hulu they're saying it's their biggest all-time release. I think they've said between television shows and films, uh, Prey is the top. I'm so glad, uh, Predator Nation, that you've been out there lying in wait in the tall grass to surface again for a movie that was worth your your time and your attention. Uh, would love if this movie just happened to spill over into theaters. Uh, I would 100% see it on a big screen. I would, I would love to watch this movie multiple times, the biggest format possible. So yeah, Shouts out to Prey, Amber Mid-Thunder, way to crush it. Uh, and that is that is the show. We're going out on that great celebratory note. That is the show. You can follow us on Twitter at feelingseenpod or send us an email at org. If you want to follow me, I'm Jor Crew on Twitter. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen. This show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun.